Everybody, welcome to Sebastopol Christian Church and our Sunday morning worship for this uh, great Sunday, August 9th. It looks like it's going to be another beautiful summer day in West Sonoma County. We're so glad that you're joining us either on our website at sebchristian.com or if you're joining us on Facebook Live. If you would like to join an online chat community on Facebook Live, you can go from sebchristian.com over to Facebook to Sebastopol Christian Church and join us there both at the 9 o'clock service and at the 10.30 service this morning. So we're so glad. Uh, we, we know last weekend that we had a glitch at the second service at the 10.30 hour. We had a problem with the internet. And I just want to remind you that the backup plan is always this. If you're on Facebook and it doesn't work, go over to our website at sebchristian.com. If you're on our website and it's not working right, jump over to our Facebook page and hopefully one of those two ways will work out. So as we get ready to start worship this morning, let me open us up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful Sunday morning. Lord, we give thanks to you because you are good and because your mercy, your faithful love endures forever. Lord, you're our creator. You are our redeemer. You're the one who bought our souls to God to live with you forever because of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made for us. Lord, we rejoice that we are in your family through faith in Jesus. And Lord, we ask your blessing. We ask your Holy Spirit to help us understand today, to help us uh, be in tune with you, Lord, to help us to learn and to grow. Lord, bring to mind things in our lives that you want us to think about and address and fix and improve upon. Lord, help us to remember that you are for us. And Lord, if you are for us, then there's nothing that can be against us. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. So Lord, draw our hearts closer to you as we worship, as we pray, as we listen to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Spread. 
What a beautiful song. Awake my soul and sing. Sing his praise aloud. That's what we want to do this morning. We're going to have another beautiful worship song at the end of the service today, so just hang on for that. Every once in a while, I think it's time for us to refocus our vision and our view and say, what is our true north? What are we all about as a church family, as Sebastopol Christian Church. So I want to remind you of what our vision statement is, what our vision statement is and what we're trying to accomplish here at this church. Our vision statement says this, Sebastopol Christian Church exists to build a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus who bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator right? So that means we're a family. What, why do we exist? We want to build up this family of hope-filled followers of Christ. In the New Testament, Paul calls this local church congregation family, he calls it the body of Christ. 
Yet we have one body of Christ with many members. You're a member of the body of Christ, and so am I. And each member of the body has different functions in the body of Christ, but we are to work and to grow together. In fact, it says that the church, the body of Christ, grows and builds itself up together as each part does its work. And the ultimate goal is when we are in unity and when we're working together and when each part does his or her work, then we are bringing others into a growing relationship with our Creator. So just a reminder, that's what we're all about. Friends, today we're in our series uh, called Jesus in Plain Sight, right? That is a series that talks about the Gospel of Luke and where Jesus is sometimes hidden from people's view. Sometimes people don't understand who he is. I don't know if you've been watching the Chosen series. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's on video. You can also buy the DVD. We bought the DVD, and Lisa and I have been watching it, and it's wonderful. Uh, but there, you can see that as Jesus began his ministry, there were people who were confused, and they didn't know what his aim was all about. They didn't know what his goals were. They didn't know his identity. And slowly over time, Jesus was revealing himself to his followers. And we want to learn a little bit more about who Jesus is and what his goals are for your life and for my life. And that's why we're going through this story by story through the Gospel of Luke. Today, we come to a story of doubt. Today, we're going to focus on doubt. That's why the title of the, of the series or the message today is called, What If I Doubt God? What if I doubt God? Now, if you're being honest in your heart of hearts and you're like me, you know that there are moments in your life, usually moments of discouragement, usually moments where something terrible has happened, something very disappointing happened to you and affected your life, and you you're kind of look up and you're saying, what's going on, God? Are you really there? Do, do you really love me? Do you really have my best interests in mind? Are you watching out for me? Are you going to help me when I need you the most? You remember the, the poem Footprints and what happens in Footprints. I'm going to come back to Footprints in just a moment. But doubt. Let's talk about doubt and what doubt is. Doubt is a feeling. Doubt is this feeling inside that you have of uncertainty. You're not sure about things. There is a lack of conviction. Doubt is a mental state in your mind in which you're, you're remaining suspended between two or more contradictory propositions. And, you're at, and for the moment in your doubt, you're unable to be certain about any of them. So you're not landing. When you, when you finish your doubt, then you have either certainty or confidence in what you believe. When you have doubt, you're kind of, in fact, in the book of James, it says if anyone doubts, he's like a wave uh, uh, that is blown and tossed by the wind. You're going back and forth. That man is unstable in all his ways, the person who doubts. So it says when we pray to God, we're to have confidence that God is going to hear and answer our prayer. If you have doubt about something, you feel uncertain about it, you don't know whether it's even true or possible, right? Now, people doubted Jesus during his time. We're going to see a story where somebody doubted Jesus. Think about some of the things that we doubt today. Maybe some of the things that you doubt. I mean, some people are still doubting whether LeBron James is the best, greatest basketball player who ever lived. I know I'm going to stir the pot when I bring that one up. 
But uh, was he really the best basketball player who ever lived? Some people doubt that America actually landed on the moon in 1969. There are still people out there that think that was all a big hoax and all made up in a studio. There are some people, and this gets a little more serious, kind of makes me sad. I, I, I wrote in my notes, I said, yikes, if this actually happens. But what if we are not allowed to meet live in person for the rest of the year 2020. I mean, some people doubt that we're either going to be able to gather again for church in person anytime soon. So there are some doubts that are lighter. There are some doubts that are more serious and heavy and impactful. Uh, let me share some of the doubts about people when it comes to their faith and some of their religion. Some people doubt that God is real. Some people doubt whether the Bible is actually the written revelation of the message of God to mankind. Some people doubt whether Jesus really is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And these are the kinds of serious doubts that if you and I do not address these doubts and they linger and you keep having these contradictory thoughts back and forth, it is going to impact your life. They're going to change even the direction of your life, and it could impact your future for good or for bad, depending if you do not address those doubts. Now, what I want to talk about a story today in the Gospel of Luke is there was someone, someone pretty well known in that world at that time in Jesus' sphere of influence who doubted Jesus and his ministry. And here's the thing, it wasn't even one of Jesus' enemies. It wasn't one of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Herodians or the Essenes. It, it wasn't any of one of these Jewish sects. It was actually somebody who was very close to Jesus. It was one of his friends. It was a partner with Jesus in his ministry. I'm not talking about Judas either, because that came at the end when Judas betrayed him. This doubt seemed to come out of nowhere. And so, the main question for us as we're thinking about today is, what if I doubt God? The follow-up question for Jesus is, what does Jesus do when somebody doubted him? How did Jesus respond when somebody came up to him and said, you know, I'm having some doubts as to whether you're really the Messiah, the Savior of the world? So let's get into the story right now. It's in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 18. It says, John's disciples. Now, this is not John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist. John, the one who was baptizing in the Jordan River, a baptism of repentance for the nation of Israel, trying to bring them around, saying he was preparing them for the way of the Lord, preparing them for the coming of Messiah. And John is now sending a message to Jesus, right? So Jesus is doing all this ministry. We just saw last week how he had raised a young man from the dead in the village of Nain, this astounding miracle that blew everybody away, and Jesus' fame kept growing and spreading. Well, the messengers came to John, told him about all these things, and calling two of them, two of John's followers, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? So what do you think John is really asking here? So the two men, uh, the followers of John, they come to Jesus in verse 20, and they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You know, it signals to me, this kind of question signals to me that John, 
who is known as the forerunner of Jesus, the one who runs in his place saying, hey, everybody, get ready for the coming of the Lord. Hey, everybody, Messiah is coming. I'm here to get you guys ready so that when he comes, you'll know, and I'm going to point him out to you, and, and the focus is going to go on him, Messiah, and no longer on me because I'm just the forerunner. So John is struggling to understand the nature of Jesus' ministry. Jesus perhaps is not the kind of Messiah that even John himself, as much revelation from God as John the Baptist had, he's, Jesus is not acting in the way that John expected him to act. And so he sends these two emissaries to Jesus to ask him this question just to make sure. Right? So John was the one, I mean, this is amazing, John was the one who actually baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John was the one who saw the Holy Spirit coming like a dove and rested on Jesus' shoulder. John was the one who testified, and this is in John's Gospel, chapter 1, in verse 34. He says, I announce now and testify that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah, the Son of God. So one question that comes to my mind is, why would John, I mean, John is the forerunner. John was the one who was given revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. John was the one who baptized Jesus, and yet John is now doubting Jesus and his ministry. Are you the, really the one who was to come? Are you the one we were expecting, or should we go away from you and look for somebody else? Why would John even ask this question? Well, it's interesting when you understand the circumstances where John found himself. John was in prison. John was suffering in prison. John had been placed in prison by King Herod because John called out Herod on his sin. Herod had taken the wife of his brother Philip and made her his own wife. That's called adultery, by the way. We don't talk about that much in this day and age. But it's having relationship with somebody outside of marriage, somebody who is not your husband or wife. And that was a sin, still is a sin. And John called out and was holding King Herod accountable for it. And rather than turning away from his sin, saying, thank you, John, for pointing this out to me, Herod threw John into prison. And that time in prison and the suffering and the isolation could lead to doubt. So there's John in prison. The other thing was, since John was locked away in prison, John had not been an eyewitness of Jesus' miracles. John had not personally seen many of the miracles that Jesus did. He wasn't one of the many followers like Peter and James and Matthew and Bartholomew and some of these guys and Mary Magdalene and Salome, some of these people that were going around with Jesus and were witnessing these astounding miracles Jesus had done. John hadn't seen any of that. And maybe... John thought that Jesus' kingdom was more political. Maybe John thought that Jesus would lead a political revolution and remove the evil rulers. I even think to myself, if Jesus is the political Messiah that I'm hoping him to be, he's going to start a revolution. He's going to remove Herod, that evil King Herod, off his throne, and I might even be released from prison. So John had all of these thoughts perhaps swirling in his head. I, I want to just remind you before Jesus answered these two messengers that John sent to Jesus, it says here in verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases. 
sicknesses and evil spirits. So Jesus was out there doing ministry. This is in verse 21. The next slide, please. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had these diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. He gave sight to many who were blind. Look what John said about Jesus even before John was thrown into prison, right? So John is out there in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. People are asking him who you are. Maybe the people even thought, John, you could be the Messiah, right? And John says, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of Messiah. But the one who's coming, he's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and with fire. And, and I think to myself, if John said those words, the Messiah, when he's coming, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire generally means judgment. And so I think John may have had expectations that Jesus was going to bring judgment upon the evil rulers, perhaps on the Romans in Israel, and perhaps free those who were oppressed. You remember Jesus said that when he was in the synagogue in his own hometown of Nazareth. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives, to make the blind see, etc., etc. Maybe John thought one of those captives that would be released could very well be himself. So the two messengers arrive to where Jesus is doing his ministry, and Luke sort of chronicles this, and he says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. So Jesus is preaching some amazing sermons. He's talking about a new way of life in the kingdom of God, but he's also doing miracles, it seems like, every single day. All the time, people are getting cured of their sicknesses, diseases, demonic spirits are being expelled and exercised from people who've been tormented by, from them by, for years even. And he gave sight to many who are blind, right? So the words of his miracles, uh, uh, Jesus, uh, his messengers, seeing the miracles perhaps that Jesus was doing, that gives encouragement that Jesus was a significant figure, but perhaps it still didn't fit right. The people were waiting expectantly, right? I told you this, that uh, John said that he's going to bring the Holy Spirit in fire. Uh, perhaps John could be languishing in prison, suffering in isolation, and he could be saying something like, Jesus, why are you blessing all these people so much? Why aren't you judging more? You know, why aren't you condemning the sin that is out there in the world. Why does it seem like you're not doing what I expect you to do? Now, it's interesting. Does John, does, okay, go back to Jesus now. So here's Jesus, he, having done all these miracles, teaching all these great new precepts for the kingdom of God with Messiah. The two emissaries of John show up. They see these miracles, and he says back to them, Jesus says, I want, I want you to go back and tell John something, right? He doesn't give John a philosophical answer. He doesn't say, John, don't you remember what happened in the River Jordan? Don't you remember what you said about me under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't shame John. He just points out the facts. This is what's happening in my ministry right now. And so Jesus replied to the messengers. He says, go back and report to John what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy, they're cleansed. 
the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Remember that widow's son in Nain? The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So he didn't give him a philosophical answer. He didn't rebuke him. He just pointed out what the observable actions of what do you think when Messiah comes, what do you really think Messiah is going to be doing? These are miraculous events that are taking place. Only God could do that. Only God's Messiah could accomplish what Jesus was accomplishing. And if only God's Messiah could do all these miracles over and over and over again, the logical answer is, John, I am the one who was to come. You don't have to look for somebody else. I'm the one you were expecting. You were right all along. You don't need to doubt anymore. So the details referred to, you know, all of these, uh, uh, the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, they come from prophecies from a man named Isaiah who predicted 700 years before Jesus ever came on the scene. They said, in the Messianic kingdom, when Messiah comes, these are the kind of miracles that you're going to see, the very miracles that Jesus was doing, right? In Isaiah 61, in Isaiah 35, the Messianic age would be characterized by those who could not hear could actually hear. Those who could not see would actually see. Those who could not talk or walk would miraculously be able to do so in the Messianic age. And then Jesus says these words to John and to the messenger. He says to John, he says, Blessed, this is in verse 23, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now that's a good word for John. That's a good word for the two messengers that came to John. Perhaps as they were walking from the prison where John was over to where Jesus was in his ministry, probably a couple days journey, maybe doubt started to creep into their mind too. So Jesus says these words to them, to John, to anyone who's having doubts over who he is or what Jesus is really all about coming into this world. He said, blessed, happy is, Blessed by God is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. God's blessings are going to come to those who accept Jesus' miracles, who accept his teaching, even in his veiled parables, which sometimes were hard to understand. Those who believed in him, they were the ones who were going to be blessed, not the people who were getting all caught up and trapped and maybe even offended because Jesus didn't quite live up to their own false expectations of what they thought Messiah was supposed to be. So now John, or, or, so now Jesus turns to the crowd. In case the crowd thinks that Jesus had just dissed John and just sort of disrespected him and put him down and said, John, you're all wrong. No, Jesus says, I want to tell you about this man, John the Baptist. So he goes in from verse 24 to 28. He says, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He said, when you went out to the wilderness to John, what did you go out there to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Somebody who just goes back and forth? Somebody uh, dressed in fine clothes? And he says, no, 
Those who wear expensive clothes, those who indulge in luxury, they're in palaces. John the Baptist, he was anything but a guy bowed in the palace. He had, he had this wild camel hair on this coat. He was eating locusts and wild honey. He was preaching out in the wilderness. I remember Chuck Swindoll one time, he said, if you ever want to see a model for how not to plant a new church, follow the, follow the model of John the Baptist. Go to an out-of-the-way place, dress weird, talk weird, talk about repentance all the time, talk about the judgment of God being ready to fall for those who didn't accept the good news message, and see if you can grow a church. And yet John the Baptist had thousands of people out there uh, who were hungry for God, right? He, he said, who did you go out to see? Not a reed swaying in the wind. Back to the other slide, back one. It says, I tell you, a prophet and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. That came from Malachi chapter 3. That was the last book that was in the Hebrew scriptures of what we now call the Old Testament. That was the last prophet who came and spoke before John the Baptist came on the scene. And there's a 400-year gap. You think about the time of the landing of the Mayflower until now. That's how long the gap was between the last prophet speaking for Yahweh and John the Baptist coming on the scene. And he says, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He's going to prepare the way for Messiah. So he says about John, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he, right? Here's the trouble with John the Baptist. That, and you can, when, when you think about Jesus' ministry, you can sort of divide Jesus' ministry of three years into three one-year segments, right? The first year of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist has been arrested and thrown into prison. The second year of Jesus' ministry, John has now been beheaded and put to death by King Herod. And then the third year of, King, of the ministry, Jesus is now, uh, for the most part, after he fed the 5,000 in the springtime up in Galilee, he is now on his way to Jerusalem because he knows what awaits him, and he's going to become the Lamb of God who gives his life for the sins of the world. So Jesus goes back and he says, when you think about John the Baptist, I think about a human being. There's nobody I can think of who is greater than John. And yet Jesus says these words, the one who's least in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a question. Are you in the kingdom of God? Do you believe and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to follow him? Because if you have, that makes you a bona fide member of Jesus' kingdom, what he calls the kingdom of heaven in Matthew or the kingdom of God in Luke and Mark. You're a member of the kingdom of God if you trust in Jesus. And Jesus says, if you're one of the least of these, you're greater than John the Baptist. How could that even be true? Well, John the Baptist died, of course went to heaven, but he, his physical body died before he got to see Jesus go to Calvary, die on the cross for the sins, be raised on the third day, uh, 
appear to his disciples over a period of 40 days and then take them up to the Mount of Olives and give them last instructions in the book of Acts and then ascend up into heaven and have these apostles watching him leaving. Gravity just has no hold on him. Jesus just goes up into heaven and disappears from their sight. John the Baptist didn't get to witness any of that. And so Jesus can say, whoever's least in the kingdom of God is going to be greater than John. What a, what a great hope that you and I have, that we get to appreciate the ministry, the coming, the victory of Messiah over death and sin. We get to participate in this new covenant community. We're members of the kingdom of God, and that is a great privilege to treasure, my friends. The value of John's struggle is this. Here's a very committed pious man of God. Jesus said, no one born of woman is greater than John. A pious man of God, and yet there was a time when he doubted, a time when he needed reassurance that Jesus is truly the one he anticipated. We sometimes think that, oh, these great saints out there, they never doubted. They were sure of their faith. They never wavered one iota in their walk and journey with Jesus. If we do that, friends, we're denying their humanity. We're denying that they were normal human beings just like we are. You remember Elijah, the great prophet, right? Goes up, wins this great battle for God on Mount Carmel, and yet within 24 hours, he's telling God, Lord, please just take my life. I don't want to live anymore. I'm no better than my father's, right? Even Elijah had a, a, a moment of doubt and discouragement. Scripture, the, the beauty of Scripture, friends, is it's so open, it's so honest about people's struggles and about their doubts, just as the Christian community today should be. When somebody has doubts about the Bible or about Jesus or about what it means to walk in faith, about whether God is really there for them at all times when He says, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. When somebody doubts that, the Christian community should not shun a person like that. They shouldn't try to silence them. They should welcome them and say, let's talk to God about our doubts together. So here's what to do when you doubt. Because if you're like me and you're going to face some dark valley of your life and, it, and you may walk into that valley not knowing if you're going to be able to walk out and you may have some doubts, what do you do when you doubt? I hope you will do what John the Baptist did, right? John couldn't go to Jesus personally, right? Because he was stuck in prison. So John got two of his friends to go to Jesus and said, Jesus, I just have this one question. Could you please answer it? And Jesus received him. He did not condemn him. He did not put John down or shame him for bringing a question like that, an honest question to Jesus. And Jesus answered his question. So when you have doubts, be like John. Bring your doubts to Jesus. And then do what John could not do because now we have the scriptures in our hands. Now we have the Bible and the Old and New Testament, this, this 66 library collection of books that gives us the revelation of who God is, the creator of the world, how this world went wrong, 
how Jesus came and began to fix this world and how you and I can partner with Jesus as we follow him to redeem this world and turn it back from the fallen kingdom of man back to the kingdom of God. And then someday we'll get to celebrate together Jesus' return when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God and Savior. That's going to be a great day, friends. We need to search for answers when we have doubts. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to other Christ followers who are knowledgeable. Let's ask them questions and get answers to our questions. The worst thing about doubt is what we do with it. If we don't go to God with our answers and we don't find what we're looking for, that doubt can linger and fester and it can lead to an abandonment of somebody's faith. To John's credit, when John doubted, he took his doubts to Jesus. And you and I need to do the same thing. The same thing, friends. As we uh, finish this message, I want us to bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we come to you in all of our sincerity, all of our honest selves. Lord, there, there are people who are praying with me right now and they are walking in faith. They walk by faith and not by sight. There are people who are trusting in you 100% in most every moment of every day. But Lord, we also know that in this community of faith, there are all other people who, because of circumstances, because of some of the valleys, the disappointments, the discouragements that they have to walk through in life, they begin to doubt. And Lord, we pray for them. We pray that when those doubts creep in, that they will do what John the Baptist did. They will take their doubts and bring them to you and let you address them, that you answer those questions. Lord, it reminds me so much of that poem about footprints. Because in that poem of footprints, the, the man was looking and he saw his life journey and he saw one set of footprints. And then he says, I noticed, Lord, that in the most difficult moments of my life, the, most, the, the heart-wrenching loss and grief that I experience in life, I noticed that there, instead of two footprints, instead of you and I walking side by side, in those dark valley moments, there was only one set of footprints. And so the, the man asked God, he said, God, where were you when I was going through those dark valleys? And Lord, in that poem, you so graciously said, my son or my daughter, those were the moments when I was carrying you. And that's why there was only one set of footprints. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us realize in our hearts and our spirits just how often that by your grace and mercy, you carry us through those valleys and through those moments of doubt. Lord, help our trust in you to deepen Help us to realize that you fulfill every promise that you make, that you are true to your word. What you say you're going to do, you make good on because you're God. You cannot lie. You're holy. And what you promise, you fulfill. Lord, help our faith to trust and to grow in you. And while we're praying, if there's somebody out there that you are now, uh, you're trying to grow closer to God, you're trying to figure out what this whole life of following Jesus looks like or feels like, Lord, if, if today this person wants to make that leap of faith, wants to put their trust in you, if that's where you are today, friend, 
if you want to put your trust in Jesus, all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, that you've done wrong things. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the Savior, that He gave His life on the cross to die for your sins. And then commit. You admit, you believe, and you commit your life to follow Him. If you're ready to do that, just, just pray a prayer like this. Just say, Jesus, I, I come to you today in as much faith as I can muster. I, I want to follow you. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came into this world to turn it around and help us get back into a right relationship with God. And God, that's what I want. I want to get back to a right relationship with you. So Lord, help me to do that. I, I put my faith in Jesus. Lord, hear our prayer. Answer our prayers. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you love us more than we could ever know. Thank you that whenever we have doubts, we can come to you and you'll be there for us. Thank you for that promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you prayed that prayer or not, friends. If you did, we have some resources for you. Please log it into the chat room. I, I, I prayed that prayer. I'd like to get some resources. Or maybe I have a question that you can help me answer. Maybe I have a prayer request to leave with you. Uh, but, you but please communicate with us if you're on Facebook, and we'll be glad to follow up with you. God bless, and now we're getting ready to trans... trans fur or transition, I should say, into a time of communion.